Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Pray, let's pray. God, we come before you this morning thankful for your word. And so, God, as we continue to worship through the preaching and proclamation of your word, I ask that your word would go forth and it would accomplish um, that for which you have purposed it. I ask that these would be your words, not mine. I ask that you'd give us uh, ears to hear your truth and that it would change our hearts and that it would change our lives. And so, God, may this all be about you, not about me. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and open up to the book of 1 Peter. So we were having a little trouble with the uh, the the little earpiece uh, mic um, that I usually use, so there was kind of staticky, so we're going to go with the handheld version today, which uh, for me, I usually talk using my hands. I have a lot of hand expressions and gestures, so this will be interesting using a handheld mic today. It might just kind of tone me down a little bit, possibly, So, uh, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so we are this morning continuing uh, preaching through the book of First Peter. Uh, now here at Franklin City Church, we will occasionally have topical sermons on certain topics or issues that we think would be important to instruct you on. But the main diet of teaching and preaching that you will get here will typically be us be going verse by verse through books of the, the Bible. And the reason that we do this is so that we don't skip over truths or hard things that might be difficult to deal with, as well as it protects us from just preaching to you things that we want to preach and talk about. So I would encourage you every week, have your Bibles here, be reading the book of 1 Peter on your own throughout the week. If uh, you forget your Bible or, or want one of the ESV versions, we typically have them out in the lobby you can pick up and use uh, while you're here on, on Sunday morning. So we are preaching through the book of 1 Peter because we believe, in general, that our culture, both Christians and non-Christians, we have a problem understanding how to handle hardships that come our way. 
Any pain we experience, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, any pain we experience, we want it taken away immediately, or we at least want to be distracted from it. And so when the pain persists, then we get confused by it, we get upset, we start playing the blame game, we start blaming our families or our friends, or maybe we blame ourselves, or we, we lash out at God. But in this book of 1 Peter, we are learning that we are to have hope in hardships and that we serve such a good God that many times he takes our hardships, turns them into blessings, and fills them with meaning. And so we are going to continue to learn through this book that as Christians, we don't just endure hardships and pursue holiness, but that we actually pursue holiness by enduring hardships. And so uh, that is First Peter, what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. The first two verses of this book we covered last week, and it was an opening greeting that Peter gives. And we even saw in those first two verses just what rich truths could be extracted uh, from Peter uh, addressing his, his listeners as the elect exiles, as Christians, as elect exiles. So this morning we arrive in verse 3, and we're going to be covering verses 3 through 12. So if you're there, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse 3 starts with really what the summary of these verses, 3 through 12, are all about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or more simply put, you could say, praise God or praise the Lord. Praising God is what verses 3 through 12 are all about. Which, by the way, in the Greek, this is all one sentence, okay? Which is why we felt we needed to cover it all with you this morning. Because this is one thought. This is one massive run-on sentence that is all about praising God. But why does Peter start here? I mean, he's addressing Christians, trying to give hope in hardships. Why does he start here? I mean, he could have first given us 12 steps to boost our self-confidence in hardships, right? Like the reason we're, we're struggling so much, we just need some more self-confidence. Or he could have started with uh, sympathizing with us and, and saying, hey, you know, you guys are really just victims of abuse that is against you or the sin of others. Or he could have, you know, encouraged us to have some self-reflection and kind of look back at our past life decisions, maybe decisions that have led us to be where we're at now, experiencing these hardships. Or maybe he could have given us ways to help control our anger or funnel our frustration. But no, he doesn't start with those things at all. He says, blessed be God. He says, praise God. The remedy for your heavy heart during hardships is for your heart to do what it was created to do, and that is to worship. And not just worship anything, but worship the one who created it. So church, when your heart is heavy and the hardships you face seem like they are overwhelming you and crushing you, remember to praise God. To take your eyes off of yourself and the struggle that you are currently in and to gaze at the beauty of God, to behold him and to give him praise. So this morning, through this passage, we are going to be talking about praising God, praising the Lord. And this passage is going to give us some things to praise God about. 
So let me summarize this passage for you, and then I'm going to call on you to respond, okay? Which, side note, I know we're still getting it during the sermon, okay? So if we secretly have a couple of, like, amen people that have been suppressing that, I mean, feel free to let them fly, okay? Uh, I don't want anyone to do anything that's out of your comfort zone, so if that's none of you, that's okay. But we might take, like, a Craigslist ad out or something. We'll get a couple of amen people here, okay? But the, yeah, there we go. All right. Hey, thank you. Uh, but this morning, we are going to do something a little unusual during the preaching, and I'm going to call you to respond a few times, okay? Because this passage is all about praising God, so we're going to praise God together. It'll be a little, little unique. We'll try it out, okay? So this passage is meant to stir our hearts to worship and to praise God, praise the Lord. So here's the summary, and then I'm going to ask you to respond, Okay? According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new life, a new hope, and a new faith. Now I'm going to ask you to respond. I want you guys to respond with praise the Lord, okay? And all God's people said, there it's okay, praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Okay, we'll try it again, all right? All right. According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new life, a new hope, and a new faith. And all God's people said, all right, you're ready. Okay, this will be good. All right, now I'm usually not a points guy when going through a sermon, but when the passage naturally lends itself to it, we will do some points, okay? So these are the points of the sermon. We're talking about God's great mercy. We're going to talk about our new life, our new hope, our new faith, and then we'll close with verses 10 through 12, okay? So that's where we're going. First, let's start with God's great mercy. We have a new life a new hope and a new faith, not according to anything in and of ourselves, but according to God's great mercy. Listen to Titus 3.5. It says, He saved us not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. For God to be a God of mercy means that he is actively compassionate. He is actively compassionate. And listen, he is actively compassionate to all people. Every human being, whether they realize it or not, has to some degree experienced the mercy of God. The fact that the sun comes up in the morning, that the rain falls on the sky, that we have breath in our lungs is all because of the mercy of God. God is actively compassionate to all people. I mean, if you wonder why Jesus seems to be dragging his feet and returning and making all things new, or you wonder why God just hasn't gotten fed up with the human race and just put an end to all of this, it is because he is a God of great mercy. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is a great God of mercy, and he is infinitely and perfectly merciful. But listen, mercy does not cancel out all of his other attributes. He is also a just God. And so mercy can't just cancel judgment and the penalty of sin. So mercy brought Christ to the cross where God's love, justice, and mercy all collided and provided a way for sin to be dealt with justly and for mercy to be provided to people. So church, here's another response time. According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new life, a new hope, and a new faith. And all God's people said, praise, praise the Lord. 
All right, let's talk about this new life that we can praise God for. Peter says he has caused us to be born again or born from above. We were dead in our sin. Every human being since sin entered into the world has been born with a sin nature or a propensity to rebel against God. And the Bible tells us that the penalty for that sin is death. So in our sin, we are essentially dead men walking and we need to be made alive. And dead men can't do anything in, in their own strength to make themselves alive, just as an unborn child who hasn't even been conceived yet can't do anything to produce or initiate life. And so we can rejoice that according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And so when we trust in Christ, it is like we are being born again, but this time to a new life that will, be, that will live on eternally with God. And being born again also paints the imagery that when we are saved, we are also born into a new family. We have a new identity as a child of God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can praise God that he has caused us to be born again and given us a new life as a child of God. Are you guys ready for your part? According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new life. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Well, we can also praise God that he has given us a new hope. Look at verse 3 in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, this new hope that we can praise God for is not just merely wishful thinking, okay? It's not just like you hope you win the lottery someday or we hope that the Colts win a game this season, right? It's not just wishful thinking or being optimistic when the Bible talks about hope, okay? When the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about having a confident expectation, a confident expectation, now, as human beings, we have a lot of expectations and hopes, but as we age and as life happens, something happens to those hopes. A lot of those hopes start to, start to fade or we kind of lose them or they start to die off. I mean, maybe think about when you were a little kid. You probably had hopes of being uh, a pro athlete, maybe. I know I did, right? Or maybe you had hopes of being a superhero, okay? Like some of our kids, they want to be superheroes when they grow up. But as reality sets in, our hopes start to fade and they start to die. Or maybe right out of school, you had hopes of, uh, of taking on the world and changing it all for good. Or maybe as a parent, we have certain hopes that our kids would go to a certain school and have a certain career and live in a certain place. And then life happens, hardships happen, and those hopes and those expectations start to fade and they start to die. But praise God, in Christ, we have a new hope. And it is a hope that is a living hope, meaning that like other living things, it is growing, it is increasing, it is flourishing in strength day after day and year after year. It is a living hope. And it is a living hope that was obtained through the resurrection of Jesus. And so as he lives, we live, and so our hopes live, our hope lives. 
You see, we can have a hope in God and we can have a confident expectation because it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just wishing that something's going to happen in the future, but it is a hope that has been secured in the past. I've heard it said that we have a hope that is anchored in the past because Jesus rose. We have a hope that remains in the present because Jesus lives. We have a hope that will be completed in the future when Jesus returns. So our new hope is a hope that is living and it is secured by the resurrection of Jesus and it is a hope for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading and kept in heaven for us. Now, most of the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about an inheritance, uh, it's talking to the people of God about having the land, right? The promised land is a lot of times what the Bible's referring to in the Old Testament about an inheritance. And the people of God saw time and time again that that land was defiled by sin, that it was destroyed by enemies, that it was taken away from them, that the produce it produced would, would rot and decay. And so... Yes, it was an inheritance, but it was an inheritance in a fallen world that was stained by sin, death, and hardships. And maybe some of you have inheritances here on earth. Maybe some of you have, have uh, whether it be money that's in the family or property or houses or things that you are hoping for, that you are waiting for, that is going to be your inheritance here on earth. But maybe you're anxious about it because a crash in the stock market could ruin it. A storm could level it. Rust could corrode it. Selfishness in a family could divide it. And so there is no inheritance here on earth that we should be putting our ultimate hope in. No, this new hope that God has given us is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. First, it is imperishable, meaning it is beyond the reach of decay or depreciation. Now, there are a few things that are beyond the reach of decay or depreciation or change, okay? I mean, it's, it's, it's a short list. I mean, we've got God, we've got uh, our heavenly body, we've got our eternal inheritance, and maybe, maybe Twinkies, all right? But it's a short list. There's probably a couple of more, but it's a very short list of things that are beyond the reach of decay or change. Now, our inheritance then is also undefiled. It is unstained by sin. Sin does not affect it. And it's also an inheritance that is unfading, unlike wealth or inheritances here on earth. Because let me remind you from James 1.11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Earthly wealth or riches will fade, but our inheritance is unfading. It is also an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. It is reserved in heaven for you. It is beyond the reach of sin, decay, and change. And as a child of God, we have a new hope for an inheritance that is beyond anything we can imagine here on earth. And it is an inheritance that will include all the splendor and majesty of dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth with God, where God will dwell with us and we will once again flourish in his presence. Peter's telling us that there's an inheritance that's better than the land, that's better than money, that's better than any inheritance here on earth. There's something better. 
that will be our inheritance. And in the book of Numbers, Aaron got a little glimpse of this great inheritance when God told him this. He said, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance. So too, our inheritance is God himself. He is our portion, and he is our great inheritance. We will once again flourish in his presence. So here's your church again. Uh, here's your turn again, church, okay? According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new hope, and all God's people said, praise the Lord. Now, not only is our inheritance kept for us, but we are kept for it. Not only is our inheritance kept for us, but we are kept for it. Look at verse 5 now in 1 Peter. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How beautiful and comforting is this? Not only is our inheritance, our eternal life with God, kept for us, but we are kept for it by the strong, powerful hand of God. We are being guarded by God's power. And this word guarded, it means carefully watched, kept safe. It was often used in a military context, okay? So think of military soldiers in a military fort being guarded, shielded, protected from attack, kept safe, and watched over. This is how we are being guarded by God's power. And listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon who said, What a mercy it is to be kept by the power of God. See, heaven is kept for us, and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us, and we are prepared for heaven. There is a double action of God's grace thus working in us and for us. Let me repeat that last sentence so you get it, okay? There is a double action of God's grace thus working in us and working for us. Is this not comforting, church, as we go through hardships in life? knowing that it is not dependent upon our power or our strength. So back many years ago, this was back to a time when uh, biking and running felt good to me, okay, as opposed to now where it feels more like my body is shutting down, okay? So this was a long time ago, many, many years ago, I did a triathlon, all right? And I did a triathlon. It was downtown Indy. It was kind of cool. They closed off some of the roads and streets so you could bike and run through the downtown area. Now, the swim part of the triathlon was through the canal, which I initially thought would be fun, right? Because, you know, as you're swimming in the canal, if you got tired, you could just stand up, you could just get out, as opposed to other triathlons where you're out in the middle of a big lake or reservoir where I assume if you get tired out there, you just sink to the bottom. So I was like, okay, I'll swim in the canal. But then after swimming in the canal, you know, I do think there are some health concerns there, so I wouldn't recommend it to people. I still have a certain kind of odor that permeates from my skin, and if you turn the lights off, I glow in the dark a little bit just from the radioactive chemicals I was exposed to, okay? Uh, so I wouldn't recommend it, but anyway, I swam in the canal. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with triathlons, you start with the swim, and then you go to the bike, and then the run, okay? So at the start of the race, I was feeling great. Adrenaline was pumping. I had been training for it. I was ready. 
jumped in, started swimming, of course, trying not to swallow the water because I wanted to have kids later, right? So I wasn't swallowing the water, I was swimming. And about midway through the swim, something happened. My body just kept feeling heavier and heavier. My muscles just started feeling tighter and tighter. I started getting intermittent cramping type pain. I started getting out of breath and I started to have a panic. Because this was the worst part about it. I knew I still had to bike and run. I was only midway through the swim, and I was thinking, maybe I could finish the swim, but I still knew I had to bike and run. And so I went into panic mode, and I had some serious doubts as to whether or not I really had the strength to go the distance and finish the race. And church, maybe some of you are sensing this morning some of that emotional fatigue or tightness or heaviness that I experienced in the canal. Maybe you're in a hardship right now and feel like you're just barely staying afloat. You're just gasping for air. And then maybe you go into times of, of panic and anxiety because you are wondering if you really have the strength to finish the day, let alone the week, let alone the month, let alone the year. And you start to panic, do I really have the strength it takes to get through this hardship? Here is the beautiful thing that we can rest in this morning. And I think some of you need to hear this this morning. You need to take this verse with you. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Child of God, you are kept by the power of God, and his grace is sufficient, and his mercies are new every morning, and he will guard you and keep you till the end. Your strength isn't enough to finish the race, but his strength is more than enough. And listen, Peter, who's writing this to us, he knows what he's talking about. Like, he's been through some stuff. He's had firsthand experience with this. He has had firsthand experience as to what it means to be guarded by the power of God. Listen to this from Luke 22 when Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen the brothers. Would it not be terrifying for anyone to hear that Satan had demanded to have them? But all the more comforting to know that Jesus had interceded for them and had prayed that his faith would not fail. So this leads us to answering the question, how does God guard us? We are being guarded through faith. Jesus told Peter he had prayed that his faith would not fail. According to God's great mercy, we have a new faith. It is a faith in God. And listen, having a faith in God, it means so much more than just believing that God exists. Faith means to trust rely, depend, or to rest upon. So putting your faith in God means trusting in and resting in who he is and what he has accomplished. 
And all of us, apart from God, we have had faith in something. We've been putting our faith in things. We have trusted, relied, and depended on something or someone to save us instead of God. So we maybe have trusted our good works and being a moral person. That's what we've been trusting and resting in, that we're pretty good people. Or, or we've rested in maybe the faith of our parents and families and upbringings and just kind of assuming that since it was their faith, well, it's our faith too, so we're just going to rest in that. Maybe we've depended on our jobs or our careers to give us fulfillment and purpose instead of our faith in God. Or maybe we've put our trust and rest in money or wealth to have our comforts and pleasures satisfied. But listen, in Christ, we have a new faith, a new faith. And in this passage, we see a great example of God working and man responding because we see that he guards, he's the one that guards and protects us, but he does it by strengthening our faith. And he strengthens our faith through trials and hardships. Look at verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God guards us by strengthening our faith, and he strengthens our faith through hardships. It's when we experience various trials that our faith is tested, purified, and made stronger. So Peter says in verse 6, yes, we are to rejoice. Like there is a lot that we should have a deep-rooted joy in. We should rejoice in this new life and new hope and new faith. But he also acknowledges that some stuff is going to happen. Some stuff is going to go down, okay? In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials. So Peter is being really real with us, and I want to be real with you as well. I'm not going to say trust in Christ and you will always be healthy, wealthy, and happy, okay? Because that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what life experience says. That Those things say, man, stuff is going to happen, okay? Trials are going to come. Stuff is going to happen. Now, three things we need to know about trials and that we can take away from this passage. First, we are not to be surprised by the trials. He's telling us they're going to come. He's telling us these things are going to happen. And he's later going to tell us in 1 Peter 4, 12, he's going to say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes as though something strange were happening to you. But, I mean, let's be honest. Isn't this how we react when hardships and trials occur like it catches us off, it catches us off guard we're like what like i can't believe this i can't believe i'm going through this why would god allow me to go through this what's happening something strange is happening to me right but he's like no don't be surprised don't be surprised by these things they're coming second thing we need to know about trials is that they are temporary they are temporary peter just told us that we have an eternal inheritance Though now for a little while, we are going to face some trials. Trials are temporary. So listen, in life, 
There are temporary things and there are eternal things. Don't forget which ones are which. Okay? That's important. In life, there are temporary things and there are eternal things. Don't forget which ones are which. Because life gets disjointed and life gets all out of whack when we start believing the lie that our trials are eternal and God's blessings are just a little temporary. Isn't that how it seems in the midst of hardships? We, we're not seeing reality clearly. And in the fog, it seems like this trial that I'm in is eternal and it's never going to end. And God's blessings, they seemed like they were just so temporary. But no, the truth of God's word says no. God's blessings are eternal. This trial is just temporary. There are temporary things and there are eternal things. Don't forget which ones are which. Third thing we need to know about trials is that they test, purify, and strengthen our faith. So think about it this way. Think if you're having some chest pain and you want to make a, a trip to your local ER, okay? If you show up to an ER with chest pain, uh, it will likely get you towards the front of the waiting room line, which everyone in Indy knows that, so don't be that guy that's got a sprained ankle and also has chest pain. No one likes that guy, okay? Uh, but let's say you show up and you have chest pain. It's going to push you towards the front of the waiting room line, and you are probably going to get some tests run while you're there, okay? So there in the ER, you're probably going to get an EKG done, at least some blood work done to make sure you aren't having a heart attack or anything bad that could kill you that night, okay? But let's say you go, you're having chest pain. Maybe the chest pain's gone away, and they do the EKG, they do the blood test, and everything comes back normal, okay? Because while you're sitting there, while you're relaxed, while you're not doing anything, your heart seems like it's doing okay, you don't have any pain, and all your tests come back fine. They will probably send you home. But what they will do, we will send you home to follow up with a cardiologist and likely do what's called a stress test, a stress test. Because the thought behind this is that when everything is good and you're chill and your heart rate's normal and you're relaxed, your heart and everything looks great. But let's put it under a little bit of stress and see how it responds. So a lot of times in a stress test, they'll put you up on a treadmill, they'll get your heart rate going, get you breathing heavier, get the muscles working, you know, cause a little bit of pain, and then they'll repeat some of those tests. They'll repeat an EKG, they'll repeat some blood work, they'll do some other tests. But now, but now that you are under the, that stress, those tests are coming back a little abnormal. And it might be showing some problem areas of the heart that aren't getting the oxygen that they need. And if they can discover this during a stress test, then they can electively go in, put a stent, open up a blockage, and save you from something that could have killed you down the road that you would have never known about. Church, when we are happy healthy, wealthy, and relaxed, you might not realize the heart issues that you actually have. But when a trial puts you under stress, you watch the anger that rises up in your heart. You watch the anxiety that leaks out. You watch the selfishness that flares in your heart. And here's the misunderstanding. Here's where we misunderstand things. It's not the trial that is making you angry. You have anger in your heart that the trial is revealing. It's not the trial that is making you anxious. You have anxiety in your heart that is being revealed by the trial. 
It's not the trial that is making you selfish. You have selfishness in your heart that is being revealed by the trial. And so God uses trials to expose our heart issues so that those issues can be dealt with, repented of, and redeemed, and our faith will be strengthened. Trials should not surprise us. They are temporary, and they strengthen our faith. Church, here's another chance to respond. According to God's great mercy in Christ, we have a new faith. And all God's people said, Praise the Lord. We are closing with these last verses, verses 10 through 12. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What a privilege it is to live in the times that we live in. Now, I know sometimes watching the news, looking at our culture, we think that these are scary times and these are hard times to live in. But in the timeline of redemptive history, it is a great privilege to live in these days of the church. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 17, he said, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The prophets of the Old Testament saw it from afar, and even angels longed to look at this grace that was to be ours in Christ according to God's mercy. So listen, when we are gathered around the throne with all the redeemed and the heavenly beings praising God, we that, are, we that were sinners will be able to praise the mercy of God even more fully than the angels. For they know about the mercy of God, but they have not experienced firsthand the mercy of God like the redeemed have. So when we're singing songs about holiness, hey, we'll let the angels lead out in that one. They've been practicing that one for a while, right? Holy, holy, holy. We'll let them take the lead. But when we sing songs about God's mercy, I think us, the redeemed, can lead out in those because we have experienced firsthand just how merciful God is. That according to his mercy, he has given us a new life a new hope, and a new faith. And now we live in a time where we can rest in and enjoy the grace that is ours in Christ. So church, one last time we will finish with this, okay? According to God's great mercy, in Christ we have a new life, a new hope, and a new faith. And all God's people said, praise, praise the Lord. Lord.